into the live stream or if you're listening to this as a recording after the fact, I hope that you're listening to it with other people because uh, we're in a series right now that's uh, about how things are going to be different, how we live in a world that is changing at an increasingly rapid rate. And we know that's inevitable. Things are going to be different in the world around us. And we want to be a people who are rooted. We want to be a people whose lives are built on a foundation where as things are moving around us, we're living in a way that honors God, in a way that's healthiest for us, and that involves transformation. It doesn't happen on accident. So change is inevitable. Transformation is intentional. It's a process that we get engaged in. And part of that process is acknowledging that we can't just decide to change our character and have it happen. It's not an individual kind of thing. If we could do it by force of will, then, oh, it would be so easy. No, we need each other. So even if you're uh, tuning into the live stream or you're listening to this as a recording after the fact, I hope you're connecting with other people because we need each other. Another way that you can connect with people, that you can take things to the next step, that you can find encouragement for the things that you're doing that are good, and you can even find some challenge for things that you want to change is in the context of relationships in a small group. So we have a bunch of different places and ways that small groups meet. They, some of them will meet in homes, some online, some right in this room right here. The important thing is getting around people because transformation happens in the context of relationship. And by the way, for people in this room, we are doing things different from how we've done them in years past. And that's because we acknowledge that the world is changing. We acknowledge that God has a plan for us to transform. And we acknowledge that the best way for that transformation to happen is not by hearing a sermon, but by having a conversation, by being around other people. So we're practicing some things in this space that we can take out of these walls. There are over 70,000 people in Marathon County disconnected from any church. And we don't have enough stages built with theater seats for them to be reached. We don't have enough sages, paid professionals, to sit on those stages, what we do have enough of is tables. There are so many tables in our community, at your house, at your workplace, at your school, at the coffee shop, at the restaurant. There are so many tables and thousands of disciples of Jesus. So what we're doing in this space is we're practicing the kind of character transformation that makes you look like a different person than the world would create by pressing you into its mold and that conversations would happen 
around tables where you have the opportunity to share the hope you have in Jesus, where you have the chance to share how you have experienced transformation, and we're practicing that in this space. So you're sitting at a table with people who you're comfortable with practicing so that we can go out and reach into those 70,000 people who are unlikely to step foot into a church building and unlikely to step foot into a church event. Some of them, though, God is preparing to be the church where they are. So we want to be transformed people who are meeting them and introducing them to the Jesus who will transform their lives. It's happening, and we're excited about it. Let's, before we get into uh, more about the importance of community, connections, relationships in transformation, let's pray together. God, as we look into your word, I pray that you would make us not just hearers of your word, that you would make us doers of your word. That instead of just puffing ourselves up with more information and more knowledge, I pray, God, that you would be pouring us out to a community that needs hope, that needs to know there is a God who loves them. I pray, God, that we would be reflections of that love for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I, uh, I never expected to be a, a, a guy who was into lawns. Um, things happen as you get older uh, where like something happens and that matters somehow. I don't know if anybody else has gone through that or maybe you haven't gotten there yet. We bought a house about 10 years ago that is just a regular like city lot uh, in in Cronenwetter. So, I mean, you know, it's got a yard. The thing is, it's a corner lot and our house is positioned like in the back corner of the lot, the farthest from both streets that form that corner. So we've got this massive like football field that meets a soccer field. Uh, All this grass. So we bought that and I felt some responsibility to my neighbors to keep that looking nice. So I started learning some things about growing grass. And um, one of the things that I learned was the height at which you should cut your grass. And this was counterintuitive to me because I always thought of grass as like a haircut. You get it cut as short as you can so that you don't have to get it cut as often, right? Uh, So cut your grass as short as you can so you don't have to cut it as often. And anyway, the greatest grass in the world is on golf courses and they keep it short. Well, okay, but I don't water my grass multiple times a day like they do on golf courses. I don't have a paid professional who's uh, managing and curating everything in my lawn. What, what I ended up learning is to cut my grass higher. Now, how many of you knew, like, you, you want to keep your grass cut high? If you've hung out with me at all, you do that. 
because I, am t I talk about this. I tell people about this uh, uh, because it was, a, it was a game changer for me. Think about grass. Think about there are these little uh, individual leaves that, that, that stick out. And what you don't want in your lawn is dandelions. What you don't want is weeds. And what's great is when your grass grows long, it shades out those weeds that like to grow. And when your grass grows long, it grows deeper and more robust roots. So it's resistant to drought, to heat. It's resistant to grubs that like to eat the roots. When you have a more robust root, you don't have to use as much pesticide. You don't have to use as much herbicide. The, the chemicals are not that important. You don't have to water as much if your grass is cut higher. This is not the whole point of the message today. I do want you to lock this in, though. The experts say, when, when you ask, how high should I cut my grass? Um, as high as you can. Set your mower the, the, the highest. The point that I'm trying to make, and you know that there's an analogy coming in here somewhere. You've been waiting for it. And some people will use an analogy uh, uh, that, that has to do with gardening, but I am not that old that I have started gardening yet. Um, I know that it's probably coming, but uh, I, I got to stick with the lawn analogy. Uh, when I think about those individual blades of grass, they are powerless to cast shade on weeds by themselves. Put them together, though, and let them grow and let their roots become robust. And that lawn can be resistant to the challenges that it faces. It can push out some of the things that would want to take over. And that's what a healthy church community does. In a healthy church community, someone who comes in with a character flaw where they're going to try to do some unhealthy things to try to steer some of the way uh, you operate and you feel or the direction of the church. When the church has healthy roots, when the church has worked to grow together, we can resist some of those pressures. We can withstand some of the challenges that we face. That's what we see Paul describing in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This, if you heard last week's teaching, hopefully you're getting an image of your mind of God in the distance where, where there may be some things between you and him and, and Jesus the good shepherd is calling your name and you might have to cut down some thickets to walk the path that he's calling you to. And Paul is urging you to do that. Change the patterns in your life in order to follow the direction that he is calling you. And then he continues, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another 
in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Boy, there's a lot there about character, about how we're to treat each other. Humility is the first thing. It's so critical that we come into the presence of the Lord and that we come into community with each other, not with a sense of pride. I was in a meeting where somebody described the difference between pride and humility this way. He said, pride is when you walk into a room and go, here I am. Now, not even literally, but we do this. Walk into a room and expect people to notice us. Pride says, here I am. Humility walks into a room and says, there you are. Sometimes people think pride is just about thinking of yourself as too big. It's just thinking of yourself too much. People can have a very low view of themselves and still operate with pride because they may walk into a room and not think, here I am, look at me, I'm so great. They may think, here I am, won't you notice me? If you don't notice me, then I'm not sure that I'm valuable. Please look at me, notice me, say hi to me. Paul says, operate with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. He continues, there's one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. You see a repeating word here, right? One, one, one. It's about unity. One of our core values, we have three core values that we operate by in this church, and one of them is authentic relationships. People with significant differences finding unity in Christ. So what I want you to hear in this passage is the unity and also then the, uh, the, the diversity. He says, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of you, or to, to each one of us, grace, a gift, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. We've been in this passage recently, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I'm just going to point out that we could look at this passage and think of these as like offices, like a, a title that there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We could also look at what Paul says here, that to each one of us, to each one of us, a grace is given. We might look at this as a style of operating that God gives each one of us. Todd Wilson and Rob Wagner in their book, Made for More, say that if we focus on the underlying strengths and the functions of these different gifts, we could say someone who operates more like an apostle, maybe someone who's pioneering, who's sending, who's extending, who's entrepreneurial, who's starting 
new things. Someone who operates like a prophet may be questioning systems of power, seeking justice, critiquing when the mission is drifting, protecting the marginalized. Someone who operates more along the style of an evangelist, maybe someone who wants to reach out to include seekers to proclaim the gospel, to bring in new people. And someone who operates more in the style of a shepherd or a pastor wants to nurture, care. They want a healthy community. Someone who operates in the style of teaching cares deeply about sound doctrine, clarity in communication, effective processes and systems and strong values. When you think about those five styles and imagine them working together, you know, if it was out of balance, if it was all about uh, the, the truth of teaching and there was nothing about relationships, that community could be out of balance, could be overemphasizing truth at the expense of love. Or if it was all shepherds and pastors, they could be overemphasizing love at the expense of truth. God has designed for the church to have a diversity of people working together to be a healthy community where Christ-like character grows. Paul tells us why God gave these diverse gifts to the church. In verse 12, he says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, I know we use that word saints differently in our, uh, in our culture. He's talking about you. He's talking about followers of Jesus. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Now that uh, word mature is not going to surprise you if you've been here the last couple of weeks. The Greek word teleos comes back again. Perfection, maturity. to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What he's saying is the church is to grow in maturity until it's like Jesus. We need each other. Amen. In order to attain to that maturity, it's not an individual thing. And then we see the result in verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. I'm thinking about those individual blades of grass that really don't stand a chance when they're put together, though. They provide shade for each other so that they don't dry out as quickly. They make 
an environment that is inhospitable to weeds as they support each other. Verse 15, he says, instead, instead of being blown by the winds, instead we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We know that the world is going to change. It's changing rapidly. We know that there are going to be winds, that there are going to be waves, that there are going to be challenges that hit us as individuals, as a church, even within the church. And when the church operates in reaction to those winds and those waves, who is in control? If you've ever learned to play chess, you know that you want to make a move in chess that gives your opponent one option. You want to move in a way that all they can do is react to how you're moving because then who's in control? A church that operates in reaction to the world is being controlled by the world. Our call is to respond with Christ-like character, love-driven mission. to be agents within the world, agents of hope and love, not operating in reaction. We have some challenges with this that I'm just going to spend a few minutes on. I know I could uh, go much deeper into this. I'm going to resist that, though, and let you guys talk about it afterward. Uh, have a conversation about it in your small group, I encourage you, take some notes as we're talking here. We have some challenges with being a church that speaks the truth in love, which is necessary for us to grow in every way more and more like Christ. First, we're unbalanced in the ministry styles that Paul talks about here. Uh, we did uh, some inventories in the spring. And I told you, those are going to come back. Uh, we're going to talk about the results of those inventories. And one of them was uh, an inventory about the primary styles of each person as individuals. And what's really, really interesting for you as an individual to, to know that, and then for us to see as a church What's going on in this community? So the primary styles at New Day, if we look at those, Apostle, we have 13% of the people at New Day have a primary style of Apostle. The starters, the ones who want to push the envelope, who want to go the next mile. 17% are evangelists, people who want to bring the good news 
to those who haven't heard it before. 35% pastor those who want to care and nurture each other. 35% teacher those who want to defend the truth, who want to clearly communicate God's word. Zero percent profit. Zero percent. It's not hard to see there's an imbalance here. Zero percent of people whose primary style is to challenge the status quo, to, uh, uh, to see when the mission is drifting and to call people back to God's call. We also took a conflict-style inventory in the spring. Uh, Jesus is our example of how to handle conflict. He exercised a perfect balance of truth and love. And we all have a mix, a sinful imbalance, uh, either overemphasizing the truth at the expense of love or overemphasizing love at the expense of truth. These are pathways that we learned as we grew up in order to protect ourselves, in order to find a path towards pleasure and find a path away from pain. We've learned ways to handle conflict that are uh, not holy and perfect as Jesus is holy and perfect. In our congregation, 34% of people who took that survey had a primary defensive style of conflict, which means they would approach conflict as being something that's about justification. It's kind of about protecting myself in a situation. It's about proving that I'm right. This is my secondary response style, so I know it well. This is me when I'm writing letters in my head. You know, you're doing the dishes or you're doing some mundane chore and the whole time you're thinking about a conflict and thinking about what you should say, what you should, uh, how you could win the argument, building a case like a lawyer, focused more on being right than about preserving relationship. 10% of people are aggressive. where conflict is about power. It's about showing who is in control. Some people don't mind provoking an argument because it gives them a chance to shed light on any opposition so they can shut it down. They're more interested in getting their way than they are in preserving relationships. Those are two styles, defensive and aggressive, that overemphasize truth at the expense of love, overemphasize being right at the expense of preserving relationships. Now let's look at love at the expense of truth. 41%, this is our highest number, our largest group, are passive in their approach to conflict. This is operating under the assumption of the belief that conflict is wrong. 
and quietly enduring when conflict comes. Now, this is my primary conflict style. I've had to work really hard to train myself to understand that criticism often is an opportunity to improve and also that I can respond to criticism not for the point of defending myself, for the point of truth and clarity, though. The bigger challenge for me is to build up the courage, because it takes courage, to confront someone else with what could be perceived by them as criticism. If you can relate, you know what I'm talking about. It's easier to just hope that conflict or that problem goes away. 14% are evasive. Like someone who's passive, someone who's evasive operates as if conflict is wrong. And rather than a a passive person quietly endures it, an evasive person, like, avoids it, like is able to dodge They tend to live in denial. What conflict? I remember years ago, handing this assessment, we had paper copies of this assessment, handing it to leaders and having one leader go, oh, I'm not going to do this. Oh, well, you've just done it. Your conflict style is evasive. (laughs) You don't even want to know that you may be doing something That's inconsistent with the character of Christ. When conflict for these people becomes impossible to evade, they tend to spread rumors, rationalize, compromise, anything to avoid the discomfort and the responsibility of facing the truth. Paul says a mature church is not going to live in reaction to the waves and the winds that try to move us. We're going to respond with this Christ-like infusion of truth with love. It's hard to even say balance because he was full of truth and love. We're to be a community that is full of truth and love, speaking the truth in love. Coming to the conclusion, if you're passive or evasive, that hiding the truth creates problems, creates division. That it's a loving thing to have the courage to say the truth because if we don't know the truth, we cannot fully love. And if you're an aggressive or defensive person, to come to the point that you realize, yes, yeah, you may be right and someone else may be wrong in a certain situation and it may be more important that you preserve unity of relationship than assert 
what is right and cause division in the body of Christ and trust that God will shed light on the right path, on what's true. When we operate in a different way, we just continue along those paths that the world pressed us into. And God wants to transform that. He wants us to grow roots deep. He wants us to grow tall so that we can protect each other. And we do that by speaking the truth in love. We'll dig deeper into this in the, in the coming weeks and, and get real specific about some things that we can do to grow in those ways. For now, I want us to remember that a healthy church community nourishes Christ-like character. We want to be a part of that kind of community. It's going to take some work <laughs> to do that. And it will pay off. Right now, let's practice that rad pattern, reflection, application, and discussion. Consider, what is God teaching you? What is he saying to you through what we just read in Ephesians chapter 4? What is he teaching you and what are you willing to do about it? And after you think about that, as an individual blade of grass, what he's teaching you, how he wants you to grow, how he wants you to respond, then we'll come together in conversation and we'll share with each other. Here's what God is doing with me. We'll take that diversity and we'll build the unity of the church. So after a few minutes of quiet reflection, we're going to reconnect for discussion. So take this time to reflect, what is God teaching me? What am I willing to do about it? And after three or four minutes, we'll have a discussion at our tables or online. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks.
I'm sorry. I was probably a distraction to some of the people in the room because uh, I was like, it's hard to find a time during the morning to tune the guitar. And I have 12 strings on it. <laughs> the poor Poyers are over there and <laughs> probably having a hard time reflecting on what uh, what God is, is saying to you. I, I'll figure out a better way. I'll figure out a better way. Um, man, as I think about it, uh, I think I need to... Uh, I need to continue reflecting. I need to pray for God to reveal a situation where I have avoided saying a difficult thing uh, and to find the way to overcome uh, my uh, avoidance of that thing, to find a way to understand the most loving thing I can do is to speak the truth in that situation and to do that in the next seven days, to have a difficult conversation. Um, we're going to take some time now to share with people at your table. Share if there's a something that you said you were going to do last week and you did it, share that and let's celebrate and encourage each other. Share what you feel like God is leading you to do this week and consider, is there someone who you can share with outside of this room what God is teaching you today and what you're going to do about it? That's how we're going to reflect his love and his glory outside of these walls. So we're going to take some time to have a discussion. And online, uh, we'd love for you, if you're in the chat, share something with the group. Uh, we've got Rachel in here, who's going to be your ambassador, who's going to share with us in this room uh, what you put in the chat as you share that with each other. So let's spend time in community, in authentic relationship, people with significant differences, finding unity in Christ. And we'll catch up with you next week as we continue to see specific ways God has for us to live out healthy community that nurtures Christ-like character. We'll see you next week.